You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to The Perth Property Show. My name's Trent Fleskins, your host. As always, this week, we're looking to the regional markets in Western Australia to get an update on where things are hot, where things are softening a little bit as well. And that is the reality across Western Australia. It's not all one story and that's why we're telling it today with Brendan Ptolemy, Managing Director of Heron Todd White. Matt, we recently had a chat about the Perth market. The regional yep. market's got its own story, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thanks for having me back, Trent. Great to be here and really interesting to take a look around the rest of WA after a focus on Perth. When we were talking about Perth, I think it would be fair to say we were very bullish about Perth. We are very bullish about yeah. the Perth market. Can you be so confident in the regional market as a whole? It's not just one market, is it? No, yeah. So they're all running their own markets at this point in time. There's one common theme with Perth in a lot of the regional locations and we'll go through them, but there are still interstate investors really interested in some of the regional markets. But funnily enough, and this is, I think, relatively ironic, a lot of the markets are actually being influenced by investors from WA. So Perth buyers going to look into regional locations and that's where they're investing. Hmm. So their yield chase becomes a regional yield chase investing. So there's probably a little bit of lifestyle going on, a little bit of holiday house type scenario that kind of thing but there's also the investor piece happening in the regionals so we know that these markets run their own race but are any of them correlated to the Perth market do any of them have really strong correlations to how we perform in the city I'm not sure whether they're completely connected at the minute in terms of um, happening at the same place i.e. that is essentially the FOMO that's happening in Perth Metro is not taking place in the regional locations but they are tracking and correlating say the southwest market is very much correlated to the Perth market in terms of some pressure on purchases some pressure on price rises to a lesser extent in relation to Perth or in comparison to Perth and also pressure from investors getting into that market too. Same on the south coast, so Denmark, Albany is correlated in terms of activity. I'm not sure whether it's a result of Perth going crazy that they're going crazy as Could well. Be a coincidence. It's just probably that macroeconomic issue of population pressure in both those locations. Yeah. I don't think there's really a cultural correlation at all and not to say that I know much about the East Coast cultural correlations with their regions, but I don't think that we could really suggest that if Perth's doing well, a certain area will inherently do well, or if Perth's doing bad, a certain area inherently is going to be underperforming. Yeah, and and in my time through the market, there's no time where I've been able to say to anyone, "Hey, Perth's going crazy! Quick, go and buy a property in Bustleton because it'll follow." You can or probably even Bunbury. Or- yeah. Yeah. yeah, and statistically, you might be able to prove that, yeah. <laughs> but it's not a, a feel within the marketplace of, oh, look, that'll take off now because Perth went. They're not substitutable markets is no. what you're saying, and therefore, that's why we have to have this episode because it's important to recognize that by listening to the Perth market episode, you're not really answering the questions about the regions. Yeah, and there's lots of factors going on in values through regional WA, and so a lot of the demand and supply pressure that is being felt in Perth will be felt in those locations as well, but they're all on different scales. So it's relatively easy or it's a relatively straightforward process to build a dwelling in large regional locations, places like Bunbury, Bustleton, Albany, where those markets are returning to confidence. And they've uh, got people who will build houses there as well. You've got a population base that can create supply. As opposed to when you get into the northwest, even get to Geraldton and Kalgoorlie, that's a more difficult proposition in terms of actually putting supply of built houses on the ground and so that starts affecting prices. And you need different solutions and we can talk to that. Let's start with 
Mandra. I know it's part of Perth city centre, but I do like to pull it out because it really has its own story in its own ways. And not many people that live in Mandra have ever really lived in Perth and vice versa. And funnily enough, I think I've said this before, but we have a lot of statistical analysis in our business for our clients, for the banks, and they treat Mandra as a regional location that's not part of Perth Metro. So does Watercourt, by the way. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so yeah. It's a different place to supply water. Yeah. Probably got more rain than Perth. It's on a cautious recovery. I know that people will be sitting there listening to this saying, oh, I've seen price increases that are 20% same as Perth, that type of scenario. But it's a more cautious recovery than the rest of Perth Metro. It's- it has a much bigger way to go. When we bag Bold Ivis out in terms of its volatility and its amenity over the last five years, we're not actually mentioning an area that has performed far worse. And that was Mandra, wasn't it? Yeah, and we did some statistical analysis down there that it showed it definitively on average dropped by at least 33%. If you correlate that with, say, the Northwest market in terms of the Pilbara, that dropped by 66% from top to bottom. Mm. And so it's still recovering from that point in time. It's probably getting most of that 33% back at this point in time. But that's on average, right? There are properties in that area that are not ridiculous outliers that went from five, dollars $600,000 to like $200,000 yeah, yeah. in value. Yeah, absolutely. These are development blocks and things like that. Yep. Or even the canals houses worth three mil went down to one point something. Yeah. And so when you dig into it, there's still the regional fundamentals. And in valuation, we talk about that as being the local economy impact. And so Mandra's still got an issue around what's that local economy supporting there? What's going to draw people to town in terms of employment? lifestyle and how is that going to then flow on to affect values of property in the location going forward. The Mandra market forecasting that over the next year or so, do we see continual pressure from demand supply? Is it having correlated experiences with regards to replacement cost increase? Or is there enough fat in that market that they're really, in terms of oversupply that we're still working back from, that we're not going to continually see Mandra pop up to Perth prices like we did 15 years ago? Yeah, I think it'll struggle to get to those highs that it achieved in the past. But from what we're seeing in terms of sales activity at the minute and value increase, the coastal sections of Mandra between Rockingham and Mandra are on a severe pressure going forward. So I expect to see some value increase there. Some of those subdivisions around Mandra, so to the south, east and slightly to the north, I would expect they are going to see price increases, but they're not going to be in the same correlation as Metro Perth. And what they're doing in that sub-market there is adding quite a bit of supply to that market. So you think about Lakelands, Carnup, you think about Tucky Cove, you think about Florida Estate in Dawesville. Yep. There's some serious land supply there that I think tempers in a way the demand. It obviously is a substitutable product of adding more supply to build a new house rather than buying the stuff in Mandra proper. Yeah, and we talked in the pod about Perth Metro and the flip between established house prices and the incentive then to go back and buy land and build a house. And it probably flips over quicker in that Mandra area because there are so many land and price options as a result. Mandra is one we're looking into 2024 as still having positive growth, but maybe not to the same extent as Perth. Yeah, and if people are looking for that holiday house, that's a regional theme still here. Still cheap. Then still go and take a look down there. There's plenty of places to buy and some great beaches and those and, and different types of products from old villas and apartments through to stuff on the canals that are worth millions of dollars. So don't be shy. Go and have a look around if that suits your lifestyle options. Also to note, the rental market down there is knackered. There is nothing to rent. Yeah. So there is really no substitutable market in that space. 
all demand has to go into the purchasing market. Yeah, for sure. And everyone can afford the prices out there as well. So yeah. positive in Mandurah. Let's go to Bunbury. It's really interesting to look through just some of those raw REWA stats because we just wanted to compare maybe the, the median house price in the southwest. So we're talking about a blend here between Bunbury and Busso because that's how these statistics are, are presented. But essentially, the median house price is up from $374,000 it was in 2019. And that's now $490,000. That's a 31% increase over that four-year period. In that same period, in comparing that to Perth, it's about 20% less than what Perth experienced in terms of value increase. So it's still lagging in terms of the dramatic growth. What we are seeing in terms of trying to nail down exactly what it's like to buy in that market versus the Perth metro market is essentially you probably have less offers in that Bunbury Bustleton market. So things are still turning over really quickly. The median selling days have reduced from 62 days back in February 2020 to 14 days in November. That means things are selling a lot quicker. But whereas in Perth, you might have four or five offers on a property, in that Bunbury location and Bustleton location, you've probably got maybe one, two or three. So there's a little bit less of that FOMO and that results in less dramatic price increases. Are there many East Coast investors looking to Bunbury? Yeah, so they're still kicking around, but I think our market's evolved enough in terms of buyer agents understanding and doing their research in that they will be looking at particular price points. So if I would expect that a buyer agent from the East Coast would now be looking at a price point for their customer and saying, hey, I can't get you into perfect $500,000 anymore in all of those options that we wanted and we wanted a 6 or 7% yield. But I can get you into Bunbury with those numbers because the rental market is still strong, expecting undersupply into the future. It's a lower capital cost and I'm still getting you your 6 or 7% return. So they would be involved in there. Again, it's just not as dramatic as the Perth market. Take us down to Busway. More of a lifestyle option. So I think we get a change in the mixture of purchases there. So less East Coast investors, more locals. Funnily enough, I think the price point in terms of where the involvement happens is similar to what we're talking about in Perth, that 500k to 800k is pretty active. Because last time we were speaking about this in August, you said that Buslo had gone from red hot back to white hot. Yep, it's just going through a little bit of a, where the market stands and almost looks itself in the mirror and goes, are we really white hot and are we going FOMO? And we're doing a comparison to Perth, which is white hot and FOMO. Yeah. So Bustledon's not quite at that mark. And I would say that there's probably should be just enough supply to maybe hold that instead but supply is really constrained in there again it's not dissimilar to Perth in terms of we go back to 2015 there was 2,600 properties on the market through 2020 there was just under 1,800 we're down now to 423 okay so we've got a supply problem in there the other thing that we need to remember about that little circle around Bunbury Brasso you go out to Bridgetown is there's some lithium connection here. Yeah, so, Bridgetown, Greenbush is this area. It's yeah. really pumping a lot of commercial work through the area, isn't it? Yeah. There's and a lot of roadworks and infrastructure works happening. Do you think it's happening because they're foreseeing all of this infrastructure spend is going to be required because of the lithium space? Yeah, I don't know enough about how Bunbury Port interacts with the exports there, but I do know enough about Greenbushes to know that it's the most efficient, longest operating open cut mine in the world or something along those lines. Yep. And that means that there's still going to continue to be demand. Clearly, lithium is, is one of those metals that's required for batteries into the future. And the forward sales on some of the product that comes out of there to some really big companies 
car makers are extremely important. They're locked away. I would expect that that filters back into the property market there as well. Have you tried to drive down to Basso Margaret River in the last six months? There's clearly a lot of infrastructure spend to make it easier to get down there. Yep. Surely that helps to continue that demand. Yeah, and so we've still got a very active holiday market down there. We're talking relatives here because essentially during and post-COVID, that market went absolutely crazy. And we're talking probably one and a half million plus. It's calmed down a little bit, but there's still significant price pressure on the holiday home market in that post one and a half million dollars. And it comes back to a little bit like the Perth message. If you're waiting for those prices to drop, I wouldn't expect it's going to be oversupplied anytime soon. Okay, so uh, no downs and then just to wait and see on how much the up looks like. And so now we're getting back to a little bit of product purchase. So if you've got more than a mil and a half to spend on a holiday home down there, you're going to wait for the right option mm. and wait for a few things to come to the market and choose the one you like the most as opposed to just bowling in and having to buy the first thing that comes on. Well, you want a fair price for the great property, not a great price for a fair property. Yeah, the overriding message is market strong, but not quite as strong and healthy as Perth Metro. Let's go to Albany, Denmark. Yeah, Albany market, Trent. I checked in with our valuer down there. His line was very, very hot. Fair. Oh, good. <laughs> um, That's very so, Kalgoorlie then. <laughs> um, so essentially property still selling within a week in Albany. Most of those at the time, they're well presented. Interestingly, land prices have already started to go up down there. So essentially, they've been relatively stagnant from a, a long period of time, about three or so years. And essentially, what's happening there is consumers can see that values have gone up they're looking elsewhere for how they create supply i.e how do they get into their housing market they've started to go back to land and now the land developers can see them coming back to land they're coming back to land because construction time frames have come back slightly and costs have obviously leveled off there's still a longer than traditional time to build but it's still a better option than potentially getting into the established dwelling market because that's so hot at this point in time i didn't think that there was much land development options in albany that supply is still relatively constrained so it's really interesting that it's stagnant for such a long period of time. Even to the extent that there are so many properties in Albany that you could subdivide house behind a house, triplex, none of them do because the price point doesn't make a stack up. Yeah, and it's a little bit like a lot of those regional locations. Sort of like Mandra. Yeah, as soon as you do your infrastructure costs and those kinds of things, you waste all your money because there's actually no profit in in the extra piece of land that you create. I think the sense... So the price point's keeping supply down in a way. To an extent, yeah. And Albany, it seems like there's still a number of buyers coming into that market, in particular Denmark too, from a, a lifestyle slash holiday home point of view. Again, a little bit like Busso and Dunsborough, you've probably got a little bit more choice now than you had before, but you're not getting wholesale price correction. Okay. Are we seeing material price growth in Kalgoorlie? And the reason I ask is because we've spent the last couple of regional updates talking to Kalgoorlie, really changing its tune. It's on an upward trajectory. It's a really strong market. There's a lot of activity. There's really nothing available. Are we seeing it convert into dollars? Yeah, absolutely. And so the feedback from our value on the ground in Kalgoorlie is, quote unquote, it's going nuts. Plenty of investor activity. Also owner occupiers in that marketplace. And essentially that's because rents have meant that it's now cheaper to buy than to rent. So rents have essentially pushing that market along. Mm. They're increasing because of the number of people coming to town because of local economic activity. Essentially, we're getting stuff in terms of a valuation point of view. We're walking through and doing valuations on houses that essentially we think were unsellable within the last three years. From a value point of view, you look around a market when it's relatively stagnant and wonder what the hell's going to happen to that property. 
and then you flip over into a market like Cowley's currently and you get to desperation stage and suddenly the thing that we thought was probably not that livable and there's some pretty ordinary old housing stock through Kalgoorlie because of the challenges of building in a location like that over a long period of time, they're now becoming occupied. I remember looking maybe four or five years ago in Kalgoorlie just for fun and I know people don't really do that but I do and the house <laughs> prices were in Boulder even in places like Cambalda and even Kalgoorlie proper selling for 100 and something thousand 200 and something thousand dollars if you were lucky I remember when we were speaking about the Perth market how in the office it's you know 600 is the new 400 in yep. Perth has that sort of thing happened in Cal? It's not quite there. It's actually just consolidating a bit. I had a look at a few sales in Cambelda just in the last couple of weeks. And it's interesting that there's some people taking on the challenge of renovating some of that housing stock. And they're definitively, the value is changing based on the fact that they've invested in fixing up a, an older property, creating a nicer place to live. So they're getting a much better rental return and the value increase is there. So it's moving, but it's not a dramatic movement. Okay, a stronger baseline really of Kalgoorlie going forward rather than seeing some significant regional growth. Yes, but the amount of activity and the frenzy around that activity will see us see a, a, an increase in values in those places. Okay, uh, so watch so, on this 2024. Yeah, and so Kalgoorlie definitively value increase as opposed to say Cambelda. Anything happening in Jerry? It's obviously a market that's coming off of one of the lowest bases in Western Australia. Yeah, and when I look at, around at affordability uh, and the idea of getting into a location for a really low value, Jero is probably the highlight in the last few years of bottoming out, bumping along that bottom for a period of time, and then returning to a value increase phase, which it's going through right now. Rental vacancy, again, is leading the pressure in that marketplace. It's less than 1% at this point in time. And the yields, and investors are definitely coming for Jero. Yields are sitting around at that gross numbers of 9%, which is obviously really healthy. The sub $500,000 market is extremely active at the minute. And essentially, investors are going into that capital market to chase those rents. Buyer agents are really active in the location in terms of doing their homework and trying to buy affordable product for their clients. But again, a little bit like we've talked about with some of the other locations, we're not seeing the effect on the median house price at this point in time. So that means that when you generally look at the statistics, it looks relatively cheap. The other thing that our valuer on the ground is reporting in Jero is the, the buzz around town as to what might happen into the future with projects that are there's around. a buzz in Jero. <laughs> Projects right. that might be related to climate change. So things like green energy, production of potentially green steel even, just some of the solar and wind opportunities in the location. You always put the port back on the agenda. I would take some of that stuff and temper it a little bit because that buzz has been around with projects like Okaji in the past and they haven't come to fruition. Mm. And so potentially the town got ahead of itself in terms of meeting house price in the past. So yeah, good activity through Jero and definitive value increase happening in through there at the minute. Let's go to Caratha and Headland. Caratha, not a lot happening there right this minute is the report from on the ground that our valuer that lives in town. It's chugging along and it means that there's just not that same pressure in terms of purchases in the location at this point in time. And essentially our valuer reports that it feels like we're lacking a little bit of consumer sentiment. So essentially people kind of sitting on their hands, what's going to happen next? Now the other part of that scenario is that rents are under a massive amount of pressure. So oh, if you think about what we just talked about with Cal and Jero, the rents have led the value increase in terms of capital value. So there is a chance that that happens through Caratha going forward. As we know, it's an undersupplied before, location. Right? Do you think yep. people are just scared? Everyone remembers what happened 
eight years ago and they all followed essentially a commercial yield in the residential areas in Carrather and Headland. Properties renting for $1,500 a week, so I'll pay a million dollars for it. Yeah. Do you think that's what's holding back going to those next levels again, even if the yields are insane? There's an affordability question here because it will look more expensive from a capital point of view for most buyer agents and buyers into the market. And so because it's not looking as cheap as other regional locations or Perth Metro at this point in time, that's where the buyers are going. They're not going to Caratha. Interestingly, the yields that I'm getting reported to me are gross numbers in the order of 15%. Mm. Now, buyers just need to be careful that they'll net out at more like 9 or 10% once you take costs into insurance and maintenance are the two biggest issues going on there. So, but there's uh, no supply coming on, right? The median house price is still well below the replacement cost. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And there is a little bit of supply coming into the market from some of the mining companies resupplying and updating their stock, i.e. they'll build some houses for themselves. But we're talking 20, we're not talking 200. Mm. The other part is that some mooted in both Caratha and Headland and South Headland, apartment and hotel complexes. So apartments led by a government change within Caratha and given most recent history they probably happen Mm. but they're not going to change the market price overall yeah if we go down to Port Hedland so pretty interesting there that there's a Gold Coast developer looking at South Hedland and some apartments around the shopping centre there right aren't they (laughs) I'm not sure I always Uh, say South Hedland the Gold Coast of WA yes yeah it's still a fair way off the coast and in my experience (laughs) of being there in 40 plus degrees not the most pleasant place I've ever been when it gets really hot it's just interesting from a supply point of view is someone able to get that viably out of the ground I just I don't know about the economics of that marketplace South Headland is relatively hot now in comparison directly with Caratha essentially it's getting ready for the next supposed boom is essentially what my value in town's telling me it's not as simple in South Headland as it is in say Caratha in terms of things like infrastructure that's been established in Caratha the local economy in Karratha is very strong. South Headland doesn't have those same fundamentals. And Port Headland itself, they're two different locations really, yeah. need some sorting out over a period of time. So you've got the port essentially conducting a buyback scheme of the properties that are affected by the dust that blows off the port. We've been saying this for five years. How long is this thing going to take? Yeah, so it's a long period of time, right? These things involve hundreds of people in terms of homeowners and investors in those locations. The only thing I can compare it to is what happened in the Hope Valley Waddle Up scheme where essentially the government-led project came through and bought out individual single residential homeowners over a period of time. And I think that took, what, 10 years, something like that, before it got converted from residential slash semi-rural use into industrial. So I expect that Port Hedland buyback scheme will take a long period of time to evolve because we need to get to the next stage of that project where they start using it for the new land use that they've got planned for the area. Last one, Broome. Yeah, so Broome's really interesting at the minute because it really is quite flat. And I haven't used that word for any other location in WA. It's holding its values. It's not really going backwards, but essentially it's not growing either. These things are growing up. Rental market is still relatively strong. So there is a return there to be had. But when you talk about consumer sentiment in a marketplace, it's in that zone where people are not sure whether they should buy in it at this point in time. They're not sure what happens in town next. Investors and speculators are probably got other options other than having to go into broom at this point in time it's been through a really good growth phase too so like we mentioned with Gratha, it's probably in a calming down phase more than anything do you think of all of submarkets we've spoken about today this is the one that has the most risk of negative growth in the next year or two i'm really concerned about the next move for broom from the post-covid tourist 
explosion that essentially it went through that period where its season used to be, you know, May to September and it suddenly went from uh, January to December mm. and you've got all of the businesses in town going crazy. So a lot of people go on there for the first time and probably the only time getting yeah, it done. Exactly. And so clearly we can see with world travel, because Broome is is a world travel destination, mm. whether you that's not inflating it too much, i.e. it's an option when people look around the world and go, Where am I going for my next holiday? Having been there, you can't imagine they're going to do that annual Bali-type trip. They're not going back to Broome every single year. So that's what concerns me going forward. It still has constrained supply, though. So that's always going to keep some sort of pressure on prices. Well, I think that that will be a good litmus test for the bottom end, the most risky part of the market that I'm seeing right now, being how much insulation does this restriction on supply provide to markets? And that one, having the most downside risk I can see in WA, it'll be interesting to see where is that protection point, given the fact that they're is minimal supply going into this market, if any, how much reduction in demand is allowable before we see reduction in price coming through, acceptance from sellers to sell at a lower price than they'd seen before? Because that is a demonstration of behaviours that will at one point in time be the canary in the coal mine for the rest of the state at some point in the cycle. Yeah, and so... It's interesting to reflect on what happened in places like Caratha. I saw it in the Exmouth market as well. You get to a stage where the fundamentals that drive someone to sell a property, i.e. create supply, mean that because values have gone down and they don't know where they've gone to, they'll just not sell. So even though we all sit around and go, okay, the market's stagnated and should be going backwards, uh, you actually end up with a supply problem whereby the owner of the property, as long as they obviously can afford to hold it, We'll sit there and go, well, I'm not getting my capital value back and I'm underwater, so I won't sell it. And I'll just hang on to this thing for as long as I, I can, unless I'm forced to sell it by the finance institution or the other factors that drive a property market, death, divorce and taxes. Look, I think this has been a really timely conversation to have to remind everyone that this state is a rainbow of different pressures, supply and demand. And fundamentally, it comes down to the amenity proposition that each town, whether it's the city of Perth or whether it's all our subregions, provides to buyers. Supply is constrained across the state, across the country. It's a reality. It's a baseline now. Who's going to win in terms of price growth will all come down to demand, which is a derivative of the amenity that each town provides. Yeah. And so the only other opportunity for some of these towns becomes the affordability proposition. So between Perth and Jero along the coast there, all of those properties start looking more affordable as prices increase in Perth. Mm. As you go out into the Avon Valley, they all look more affordable and a better lifestyle option. We're talking Northern York, these places. Yeah, exactly. So those locations look more acceptable from a price point of view. Again, the same as if if you're a FIFO and you can't buy into Perth anymore and you can fly in and out of, say, Bustleton, then you start drifting down towards the Bunbury-Bustleton region and saying, okay, can I live in Australind for the same price or less than I can and, and have a better lifestyle than if I live in suburban Perth? So some of that will come into play, but it definitively won't change those markets overnight. Brendan, thank you very much for the update on the regional market. Have a safe Christmas. I'll see you in the new year. Cheers, Trent. Thanks for having me in. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!